To the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Our sermon text this morning is from Matthew 17, verses 1 to 9. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell this vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. In the name of Jesus, to whom the Father declares, You are my Son, today I have begotten you, dear friends in Christ. If you have ever had the opportunity to travel to Israel, like Drew Nauman just did, you will find yourself searching for travel tips. You are likely to come across them, across the term Jerusalem syndrome. It's an inexplicable psychological phenomenon that it's not uncommon among people who travel to Jerusalem, where one becomes overwhelmed by the experience of just being present in that sprawling metropolis. Something about the place makes people have a total mental collapse. So that from the years uh, 1980 to 1993, there were 1,200 recorded cases of Jerusalem syndrome delusion. Some otherwise well-balanced and mentally stable individuals would come for a visit and then claim to be the Messiah. One individual became obsessed with moving one of the stones of the western wall of the ruined temple, claiming that it was in the wrong place. Yet another believed that he was Samson, although Samson was never in Jerusalem since it hadn't been founded until almost 500 years after his death. However, we would be mistaken to think of this Jerusalem syndrome is the first and only occasion that Christians developed an unhealthy obsession over a place assorted, associated with Christ. The evidence of such obsession litters the landscape in the Holy Land in the form of chapels and churches dedicated to a place or a person that appears in the Bible. In Magdala, there's a Catholic chapel venerating Mary Magdalene. On the shore of Galilee, there's a church commemorating Christ's threefold command to Peter to feed my lambs, tend my sheep, and feed my sheep. Though no one actually knows if this is where that conversation actually took place. 
And when we see the same tem- and when and when we see the same temptation to focus on a place rather than the person in our text for this Transfiguration Sunday. And so today we seek to take away the good and beneficial things recorded for us here and leave behind the unnecessary, unhealthy focus of the external circumstances when Christ revealed his glory to the disciples. To that end, our theme today echoes the words of Peter. It is good for us to be here. It is good for us to come and see, and it is also good for us to leave and believe. May the Spirit help us to keep our focus on Jesus this morning and always. The events of Christ's transfiguration took place about a week after Jesus had asked his disciples, Who do men say that I am? To which Peter had replied, You are the Christ, the Son of God. As Jesus retreated into the Galilean mountains, which he often did to pray in peace, he brought three disciples, Peter, James, and John. We don't know which mountain this took place on, and it's probably a good thing. And while the disciples stood by, Jesus was transfigured. The Greek word here is metamorph. The same word we get metamorphosis from, and which is usually translated as transform. And yet, every English translation you'll find refrains from saying that Jesus was transformed, and with good reason. When we say that someone is transformed, we mean to say that they become something new and different to what they were. Jesus was not really becoming something new or different, but rather was displaying the glory that he had set aside during his humiliation on earth. This glory had always belonged to him, but he did not make full use of it as he carried on his redeeming work. But here, on this mountain, Christ's glory as the Holy Son of God is on full display. His face shone like the sun. His garment became white as light. On top of this dazzling display, Moses and Elijah, two of the Old Testament's heaviest hitters, appeared and began to speak with Jesus. Luke's account of the transfiguration tells us that they spoke about Jesus' death which was to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. And what is Peter's response to all of this that we think uh, would agree? And what is Peter's response to what I think all of us would agree could be rightly described as a life-changing experience? He loses his head a little. He says, Lord, it is good for us to be here, and if you wish... We can make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter rightly says, it's good for us to be here. It was a blessing and a faith-strengthening opportunity to witness the divinity of his Lord firsthand and to see with his own eyes the truth of what he had just confessed not so long ago, that this was indeed the Christ, the Son of God. But then he loses his focus on the person and rather focuses on the site where the event took place. He's ready to start building. 
He's ready to do whatever he can to ensure that Jesus, Moses, and Elijah don't leave. He wants to stay up on the mountain. Up here, there is peace, promise, and power. But down there in Jerusalem is pride, pain, and punishment. Up on the mountain are the prophets, and down there are the Pharisees. Up here, they see Jesus' divinity, and down there, they would only see his death. It's easy to understand why Peter thought this way. In a beautiful church like the one we're blessed with, in huge cathedrals with their vaulted ceilings and towering stained glass, in quiet monasteries with their intricate mosaics, it's easy to think, this is where God is. This is where we want to stay. It's safe and beautiful here. There's no danger of persecution here. But Jesus didn't stay on the mountain. Just like we don't hole up here in a church all week. It's good for us to be here, but it's not good for us to stay here. This building is a blessed place where we speak and hear God's message. But it's good for us to come, and, and it is good for us to come and see the word and all that God has done and continues to do for us. But God forbid that the gospel be confined to this building. Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration for two reasons. First, he came to strengthen his own resolve for the work that he would shortly accomplish. As Jesus looked ahead to the sacrifice that he would soon pay, we look ahead to the Lenten season when we will consider the sacrifice, that sacrifice and our own sin that has necessitated it. Before he left, the Father gave Jesus a progress report. All is going according to plan. Jesus remained the perfect sacrifice and a satisfactory payment for sin. So that the voice of the Father trumpets from the cloud, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Secondly, Jesus came to strengthen the faith of his followers. Not only those immediately present, but you and I as well. As John writes toward the end of his gospel accounts, These things are written that you may believe, and that believing you may have life in his name. It is good for us to be here today and consider these very real historical events. It is good for us to come and see that Jesus is truly the Christ, the Son of God, full of the whole power and glory of the Godhead. But it's also good for us to leave and believe. Jesus did not remain on the mountain. The disciples fell down out of fear at the voice of God, and so Jesus touched them and encouraged them. Arise, and do not be afraid. And then they left. And Jesus did go down to Jerusalem. He was betrayed by one of those closest to him. He was delivered to the hands of sinful men and was mocked, wrongly accused, beaten, and crucified. If Jesus had stayed on the mountain, we would have no redemption. 
But just as he first laid down, laid aside his glory in coming down and being born a humble infant in the manger, he once more puts aside his glory to come down and be offered as the humble lamb on the altar of atonement for us. The place didn't matter. Jesus does no Jesus does no one any good if he stays there. The disciples carry the gospel to no one if they stay there. And we carry the gospel to no one if we stay here. Rather, we take the message with us. We enjoy our time here in the quiet and security of the church, and we go out during the week to spread the news that Jesus is the Son of God, that he did live and that he did die, and that he did rise again so that we all put our trust in him. We all that put our trust in him might have the promise of eternal life. What's more is that the word we carry is an even more powerful witness than if we had seen the transfiguration with our own eyes. Peter writes in his second letter, Chapter 1, verses 16 to 19. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased." And we heard this voice, which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which we do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We have the prophetic word confirmed to us as the only thing that is able to truly transform a lost and condemned sinner into a free and redeemed child of God. And so the Father tells us, well, that we should hear him. Hear him when he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Hear him when he says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Hear him when he invites you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we could keep going on like this the rest of the week with more passages. Easily. With all the promising words that our Savior speaks to you of the comfort he gives you in life and then the victory he gives you in death. We could stay here forever and hoard these words to ourselves. But then Paul raises a few important questions in Romans 10. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? And it is written, 
How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. So you may think a preacher would be a pastor, or maybe even a lay reader like me. You'd, you would be right. But you, may, but you are also called to share this message. It's good for us to be here, both to come and to see the glory of God, but it's also good for us to leave here and believe that Jesus is the Christ who died to give us life and spread that word. So get off the mountain. Go to the plains. Go to the cities. Go to those without hope and give them everlasting hope. Go to those who mourn and give them something to rejoice in. Go to those lost sheep and tell them that they've been found by our good shepherd. We do not leave the mount alone, as the hymn writer so eloquently put it. Tis good, Lord, to be here, but we may not remain. And since you bid us leave the mount, come with us to the plain. In Jesus' name, amen.